This podcast was created to educate listeners on the experiences of diverse individuals. However, all opinions expressed by the host or guest do not reflect the overall standing of Tarleton Radio or Tarleton State University. Welcome to Making Space, the Diversity Dialogue. I'm your host, Cole, and this is a bi-weekly podcast where together we'll have questions answered about socially sensitive topics while learning how to create lasting relationships with diverse people. This episode's topic was chosen in honor of Black History Month, and we will be discussing police brutality and specifically against black individuals. And here to help me today is my guest expert, Malik Miles. You want to say hi? Hello, everybody. (laughs) He is the president of the Black Student Union. He has also given a few lectures with the Office of Diversity and Inclusion and International Programs here at Tarleton State University for the month of February. If you haven't already, you can all go and listen to the bonus live dialogue that we put out last week about the lost ancestry of African-American people caused by the slave trade. That was Malik here. He did a very good job on that. All right, thank you. (laughs) Um, And now I'm going to go ahead and let him tell you about his personal experience on campus um, with his leadership and being a part of the community. Okay. Excuse me. Thank you. Um, So it really kind of started sort of my sophomore year when I came to college because um when I came here my freshman year I was actually looking for this to already be here on campus it wasn't already it, it wasn't um oh, from, I did not know that yeah from my experience like I didn't even know uh, the fraternity that I'm in Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated was here on campus um so it was kind of like hard for me to maneuver through Tarleton when I was here like mm-hmm. it was it was very difficult for me to the point where I was like considering um, transferring to another institution. Oh, really? But, that, like another institution that had them already? Or? or just more so of like to not even just the fraternities, just a, a black presence. Because when I got here, it seemed as though it wasn't even that many black students here. That That is true. So, that is true. At least from the right. outside, it does look that way. Right. So when I got here, I kind of felt like I was an outsider because, you know, when I grew up, I grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood, Mm -hmm. went to a predominantly black elementary, middle school, high school, predominantly black church, um, everybody in the neighborhood. So that was just that I was just around that culture my entire life and I was just used to that culture. So when I got here and I kind of saw that it wasn't that much of it here, it was kind of like a big shock for me and it was hard adjusting for me. So um, my sophomore year, um, no, my, uh, my spring semester, my freshman year, um, I had found out about this organization called the Black Excellence Association that was here, and the president at the time she was uh away in one of my uh, my dorms, so she told me about the BA and she told me to sign up for like this trip that they go to um, every spring semester called the Big Twelve Black Leadership Conference, and it okay. and that year it was held in Baylor, and so the Big Twelve is basically like all of the Big Twelve institutions that came together and created the Black Leadership Conference to discuss different things within black issues and also pr- provide leadership development and things of that nature. Was that specifically for college students in yes, university? specifically oh, okay. for college. It's kind of sort of like SBSLC, but like on a bigger scale. Uh, will you describe what that So was? SBSLC Sorry. is, is, is it's fine. So South, SBSLC is the Southwestern Black Leadership 
SBS. So yeah, Southwestern <laughs> Black Student Leadership Conference. So okay. it's basically the same, but it's ke- it's kept within the A and M systems of school. Oh, and it's okay. held at A and M. That's cool. So the Big Twelve is like just like that, but like on a bigger scale. So myself, um, Cam, who is a member of Mitchell, I didn't know him as well, um, and three other uh, three other uh, students. We all went to this conference, and so me and Cam were like the only guys on that trip so we roomed together and I began to start talking to him and things of that nature and I found out about the uh, mental freedom organization here on campus yes, yes. so I joined mental freedom and then since then I just started getting involved in mental freedom and mental freedom for our listeners that's something based out of ODI right it's a ODI department uh, departmental organization for uh, minority males here on campus okay so um I, I began joining them. I began taking leadership positions within that org. And then, um, so that's where my leadership development game. I began doing different programs, kind of, you know, lecturing programs, presenting um, during mental freedom. But then as time went on, I was kind of like, you know, I don't, it still is not like a space for black students here. Mm. So I eventually ended up finding out about Phi Beta Sigma, um, my sophomore year spring uh my uh fall sophomore year i found out that it was here on campus because i had a friend of mine who was in the fraternity mm-hmm. so as i began talking to him at this of that nature i began getting interested into the org and then i eventually joined the organization and so my big thing was like those the so Phi beta sigma fraternity incorporated is a an mpac organization so the mpac is basically a council of nine African-American fraternities and sororities. So that's Alpha Phi Alpha, Alpha Kappa Alpha, Kappa Alpha Psi, Omega Psi Phi, Delta Sigma Theta, Phi Beta Sigma, Zeta Phi Beta, Sigma Gamma Rho, and Iota Phi Theta. All nine of these organizations were all African-American fraternities and sororities, and all of them, the first one was Alpha Phi Alpha. So all of these organizations had great history, and Phi Beta Sigma stood out to me the most. So I felt like with that organization being as rich with history and as important this organization was to the community, I felt like that it was only important for the black students on campus to know that Phi Beta Sigma and Zeta Phi Beta, which are both here on campus, are here on this campus. Do you Um, feel like you have that voice here or is it still difficult for you? um, I would say more so, and I can only speak as far as being my org, me, uh, me, and my line brother and what we did with Phi Beta Sigma, I felt like we had to create that. I felt mm-hmm. like it wasn't it wasn't given to us. It wasn't um it wasn't there. We we had to personally create that for ourselves. We've we've accomplished that and we've did that. Now Phi Beta Sigma and Zeta Phi Beta are known organizations on this campus. Good. Good. That's really good. All right. I think we're gonna go into the history of police brutality and oppression of black individuals. Um, now, I did, I did quite a, quite a bit of research, and um, I'm not an expert, though, still, right. definitely not. So if there are things I get wrong, I apologize, and Malik's going to help me keep on track there. But as far as policing goes, what I found um, from the Smithsonian is that modern policing came about in around the 1830s, time frame and the first police department um, that we recognize as a police department came about in 1838 in Boston 
And that's interesting because it is the more northern area. Right. And when we think of that time frame, we think of uh, the Civil War. Right. In which, of course, um, black individuals were searching for freedom, right? And as soon as they were, they were freed and... Of course, Jim Crow laws started happening in the South. They fled toward the North. The yeah. North, correct. But they still faced a lot of oppression, especially from the police who were trying to crowd control and population control. And of course, they didn't have any policies or regulations really at the time. So they used pretty harsh um, tactics to control that. So it's police brutality and oppression is not new right and i would even say that and that's something that i've been trying to push and and get people to understand that what we're seeing now as far as when it comes to black people in police is that this this has always been here this 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 has been here for years um if if you really dive deep into the history of the police here in america um before there was before the police became an institution the police were slave catchers um if you you can look up images of those old badges that they used to have the slave catchers mm-hmm. and they looked like police badges so the, and the and these and these slave catchers have these were their their um their mandates to protect the the white slave owners property and when their property ran away to go and get their property back. Wow. So that's something that a lot of people don't think of when, when it comes to that. Like the, the whole institution of the police system started with that. Yeah, I, I think I glanced over that in my research, but it's, it's difficult to find right. a lot of in-depth articles. But I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's hard to wrap your head around because it, at least from the small worldview that I grew up in was that police are meant to protect you. And that's a hard t- thing to think about is originally we're pretty terrible. Right. And, and also, too, because it, it just goes because coming from the background and the neighborhoods that I came from, looking at the two different neighborhoods, because I know I've been in certain neighborhoods and watching how the police interact with people in different neighborhoods. Um, in any other, um, more so in like upper suburban communities, they're a lot more uh, friendly. You know, they're they're not patrolling that much. You rarely see them. Versus when I used to live in uh, South Oak Cliff, Dallas, mm-hmm. they were patrolling a lot. All the time, mm-hmm. you, you saw them a lot. So it is that that history between police and and black people have never been. At a, at a point to where we we, we saw them as protection mm-hmm. and that's what they're that's what they you know their whole mandate is supposed to be to protect and serve the community right. you know my tax dollars are are, are paying right. for you right and you know it's the whole thing it's like I'm paying somebody to oppress me <laughs> that's a very difficult concept um, I think we're gonna so we've talked about like how police became about and then moving to the 1920s, which is interesting because it, in my, what I've read, it, there's not much between there, at least, that I could find. Right. Um, so moving forward to 1920s, early 1930s, Illinois was one of the first states to 
take a crime or a criminal data survey and then publish that. And what that really stated was, of course, they wanted to see what the crime rates were. But it said that 30 percent of the victims of police killings in that area were of black individuals. And I believe the number it was um, only 4 percent of that area's population were black. And yet it's 30 percent of the killings. So it's. The statistics on it is astronomical sometimes. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, and that's why it's, you know, when you talk to certain people and, you know, they, they say, oh, it's not because of race or it's not because of that. But when you look at the statistics, the statistics say otherwise. Right. The numbers say otherwise. Yeah. And it's in that point of time where this was published that people were finally seeing that and were at least some people were pretty concerned about it. And then um, President Hoover at that time established a committee called the National Commission um, on Law Observance and Enforcement that was actually supposed I believe it was made up of around 12 people. I could be wrong on that one. But it was a committee that looked at uh, police policy that was already in place and suggested new policies. So it was a step in a better direction. And then we go from that into the civil rights movement, which is uh, the 1950s and 60s. And that's going to be where you see a lot of your sit-ins and what you kind of hear about in grade school, which is like Rosa Parks on the bus and that sort of thing. Um, Which is interesting because mm -hmm. during this entire era, this is where the SWAT originated from. The whole idea of having a SWAT originated during this era. Because of the riots? Because of the riots. They mm. the pol- they began to militarize the police. I did I did think I read something about that. Uh, that they just, um, as a community, they started to give more money and funding for certain weapons and more higher force weapons right. and of, of that sort. Which is very interesting. I remember when I found that out and it, it, it when I researched and it blew my mind that during, during this particular period, that's where the whole idea of the SWAT came from, hmm. because because of the because of these interactions with black people, because these black people was tired of right. of the oppression and was tired of the brutality, the police department decided that they needed to militarize themselves a lot more. Right, and what you see at least now on TV and stuff is is SWAT. Oh, okay, they're just going into someone's house, and that's what you see. But it originated from originated from riots yeah. and protests and, I mean, look and at the, some look, of them peaceful protests right and i mean look at how the police are now they they look a lot more militarized that's true um with the vests and the, yeah while some of that is definitely protection on their part right um there are a lot of high power tools that they use right um and i have written down here just um Around 1964, there were riots in New York, in Philadelphia, in Chicago, in New Jersey. Again, that's the time where you'll see um, Martin Luther King Jr. talked about with his um, trying to promote peaceful protests. I actually had written on here because this is uh, something that was more televised and more open to public vision. And that's Bloody Sunday, and that's March 7th 
1965. That was in Alabama. And uh, I'm not really sure how to pronounce. Is this just Selma? Yes, Selma. Selma to... I'm, Montgomery. I'm really bad at these names. I'm sorry. Selma to Montgomery March. Um, it was a peaceful protest against the killing of Jamie Lee Jackson by a white police officer. And they were beaten heavily and they were tear gassed. And all of this was televised. And I think that that was a big step in the civil rights movement now that we had the technology to show a larger group of people what was actually going on. Yeah, because but before you know, footage came in. That was it was all hearsay. Yeah, it was it was you know, you like from all the shootings that we've had, you know, recently, um, when it came to Trayvon Martin and Eric Garner, and Sandra Bland, and and many others before then during that era, it wasn't recorded. It it, it mm-hmm. wasn't it wasn't. You didn't physically see that. So it was more so of like... There was a separation. Yeah. There was a separation from um, other people. Um, For example, Caucasian people wouldn't wouldn't see what was really going on. And so they were able... We were able to disconnect from what was actually happening and what bad things were going on until, of course, we've seen it. And, um, another big one that I found was the Watts riots. Um, yeah, like like many of these riots started, be, you know, it it just became people became tired, people people mm-hmm. became fed up, you know, with with this heavy oppression, with this heavy policing, and they they rioted. I mean, it's you know, it's it's hard, it's very difficult to stand still or to be peaceful in a time like that when there's just a lot of negativity and abuse going on. Yeah, when when you think about it, during that time, a, a lot of black people, the, that, the, the fight between for that was important that was mm-hmm. because it was right in your face it was right. it was you couldn't help but face it you couldn't help but face police brutality you couldn't face couldn't help but face the numerous racism we became to voting you couldn't even vote um like things of that nature it's it's that that black people they it was right there in their face right there were um white people who were going around and they could do everything they wanted they could even like there was less, um, I don't know, there was less of a standard. Right. And it's hard to see that right in your face that you're, you feel like you're not equal in society. And I know I've read certain statements where, you know, black people would go up to vote and the people that would, would ask them to name off all of your, your state officials and things of that nature before they even gave I certainly them, don't know those. Right, and gave them the right <laughs> to vote. And it's kind of like, you know, I'm a citizen of this country just like you. Right. I I have that right to vote. Exactly. Like you. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have to name off every state and local senator or governor that's here because I'm not voting for that. I'm voting because of the issues that are within my community. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. And I'm going to move on to the area of video footage, which we kind of talked about a little bit before um, with the Bloody Sunday televised riot. 
1991, Rodney King was another cab driver who was beaten and killed. Um, he was hit over 50 times with a police baton. And all of this, this was filmed, uh, videoed, and sent out on t- TV. And it's interesting, like we talked about before, that because it was videoed and people could see it, people connected. And that kind of goes back to um, the history of film and, and war f- films that were played and just people connecting more once they've seen it. Um, and social media, of course, plays a big part now. Yeah, it does. It's, it's, I would say it's, it's been more of a way for people to voice their, their opinion and, and, and to be able to rally people together. Right. And I know um, at one point I saw in one of the lists of names that somebody had Facebook lived a certain um, police brutality and incident, which, I mean, it can reach a lot of people that way. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, social media. And it's crazy. Yes. It's it's a lot of incidents that happen that people really don't know about. Like, I, I have Twitter instagram facebook and i see videos every day every day right, of, of police brutality being that's, being portrayed that's what makes it different now that social media versus television television oh well it took a while to get up it uh could have been edited pretty quick but facebook lives of course it's you're right seeing there in their, everything in that's happened on both sides because i can remember um, a video i saw um not too long ago where um, this police officer, like, he had pulled the guy over, and, um, you know, he was finna ready to pull the guy out of the car. And the police officer immediately reached for his gun and was finna to pull the gun out to shoot him, and the guy closed the door and drove off. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a lot of people were saying, oh, he was wrong for doing it. And the, the police officer, his partner had to grab him. Yeah. So it was almost in that moment that man had to choose whether he wanted to live or die, and he chose to live. That that's a hard choice because it's of you're told not to disobey a police officer because they have the authority in that aspect. But when it's a choice of like, do I run or is there a possibility of me getting seriously injured or killed? Yeah, it's it's and that's that's the the disparity when it comes to well, I would say the the issue when it comes with black people and police. When we pulled over by the police, it's that is a life and death situation. Mm. We we are lit. What goes through a black person's mind when they are pulled over by the police is, let me do everything I can to make sure I can go home, mm-hmm. because at any given moment, this could be my last time. Just, just, just for a basic, my light could be out, and you pulling me over about my light. I'm not worried about this light. I'm worried about are you finna try to, am I gonna die, mm-hmm. just by having this interaction with you? And I, and I think that's that's the important thing when it comes to black people and police police officers. When we when we approach and we have interactions with police officers, you're contemplating whether you're gonna live and be able to go home and see your family. And this, and by having an interaction with someone who's supposed to be protecting you, whose whole job is to protect you, and you're afraid of this person, you're terrified of this person, and I think that's the thing that people don't understand. 
for for black people the person that we're supposed to protect the person that everybody is telling us that we're supposed to respect that we're supposed to honor this that and the third we're terrified of them you you can ask any black person like that's that's the thing that we have and what we think about when we interact with a police officer Mm. all right i think as we're still in history we're going to move on to the black lives matter movement after the civil rights movement and that was um early 2010s um 2013 to be specific and this was a response to the death of trayvon martin and the acquittal of his killer george zimmerman and now george zimmerman wasn't actually a police officer he was a neighborhood watchman but it was just what spurred the movement it was started by three black women these three women started this hashtag and has now grown into a global organization that has over 40 chapters all over the world so that's pretty amazing um what they stand for is the global affirmation of humanity um, of the black community and black individuals and recognizing um, the attributions that they have had in society and also to resist the oppression that they face. And I think we talked a little bit about Eric Garner, but he is one, he's another one of those that happened after Trayvon Martin that it was a year after, it was 2014 yeah, when that happened. Yeah, a year after. And from reading the story, I believe it was that the police had thought he was selling cigarettes um, without tax or some sort of stamp. Um, I'm sorry if I get that slightly off there. But he, of course, had said that he hadn't been selling those and he... I don't remember. Did he start to resist? Was that it, or was did I they just? I don't even think he resists. He mm-hmm. he followed all the directions that the police asked. Right, and then um, he was restrained on the the cement, and multiple office officers restrained yeah. him. And that is where the um, infamous saying "I can't breathe" comes from, and that's a big rally cry for the Black Lives Matter movement as well. Yeah, it, and. Watching that video is just It's heartbreaking. Yeah, that was that was like <laughs> I know when I first saw it, I was I was like, Yeah, y'all just straight murdered this man on camera. The man literally told you he couldn't breathe. Yeah. It, and you didn't care. It's really hard. I I think I don't know, I can't imagine what they were thinking at that point. But and maybe it was just adrenaline, but it, it's there's no excuse for that. Because um, he, he, you all is, I don't, I think it was like five, maybe four, and all of you have guns, tasering this, that, and the third. Did it, did it really take all of you all to restrain this man? Mm-hmm. I, I think it's fear, maybe on both sides, but also probably has something to do with authority given to police officers and what you might have mentioned before that okay um we maybe have these restrictions on policy but are they going to be enforced all right uh, i think we're going to move on to vocabulary and now we're going to come uh cover some common verbiage that maybe some people don't really know what they actually mean and it's just a few things for this week's episode um 
Of course, if you have any questions, different verbiage that we may have used, just put it in a comment to us on our social media. But the first one we're going to talk about is (laughs) (laughs) gentrification. I think I said that right. I'm sorry. Um, Did you want to take that definition? I know Um, you mentioned it maybe in your lecture. Gentrification is more so the the buying of property and moving a a group of people out of an area. So I would give a personal, um, I would say, I'll give an example. So I'm from Dallas. And Oak Cliff, Oak Cliff used to be um, a a white-owned area, or predominantly white, but they began to move, and black people began to move here. So essentially what's going on now is what you're beginning to see in Dallas you're beginning to see a lot more black people moving out of Dallas and a lot more white people and, you know, uh, people of other other minorities moving into these neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's more so of moving a group of people out of their neighborhood okay. by buying property and things of that nature. Um, so it's not necessarily by force, but by passive-aggressive exactly. moves? That's, that's Pass- exactly maybe. what... Um, I mean, but it's all, it can also happen by force too. Um, it's forcing. It it has happened in history before. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say more so in the sixties and seventies, where people actually like killed people and actually forced them and actually threatened them with violence to move. Mm-hmm. Now, I've heard this term before, and I know it vaguely. But have you heard of redlining before? I have heard of redlining. Um, I would say redlining is more so of you the valuing because this is the valuing the prices of homes mm-hmm. more so black particular homes. So the value of black homes are a lot less. I see. Then, um, and I I can't really think of the proper definition for it right now. I would have to go back and go look up the proper. Would definition. you say it has um, something to do with? Gentrification, right? It, it. I wouldn't say it has so much to do with gentrification. It's more so of like the the value of of the homes within these areas. So black neighborhoods would be redlined. Oh, I see. Okay, so, um, like you're talking like property values, right? Property values. Okay. That's right. I see. So, um, for example, in a neighborhood that is predominantly have black families would have less property value. Right. I see. Okay. And that's what that redlining was. It was more so they, when it came to redlining, they redlined a lot of those black uh, neighborhoods and those black communities. Okay. Hmm. All right. Uh, black Lives Matter, we kind of already already covered, but then Jim Crow is uh, also something that is thrown around a lot. And, and it was talked about in grade school, but not everyone remembers that Jim Crow, I believe, is just that segregation. It was, um, I would say it was an era right after slavery um, in the Reconstruction era. Mm-hmm. Um, are you familiar with the South African apartheid? It sounds familiar, like I've heard it before. So, but. I, to me personally, I refer to this era as America apartheid. Okay. Because um, during this era, numerous amounts of violence was committed on black people. 
um this is what the kkk was was really heavily mm. um prominent as well but black people were being beaten hanged killed um there were being segregated as far as home right. this is also schools. the time frame where um the whole if you see any pictures of like the water fountains that right. sort of thing white the, only for water fountain right. white only stores and if you look there's pictures of if they were finna hang a black person in a town they would pull their kids out of school this was like a big public event mm. like people barbecued they had picnics they were taking pictures like it was like a more so like a fair mm. for just hanging a black person wow during this era you tried to wrap your mind around yeah it was it was and, and there's pictures of this there there's pic and they would sell body parts of these black people oh my god <laughs> like there's a story that had knuckles of a black man that they had just killed wow um this is where you saw a lot of your even the cartoons that came out were very racist and they portrayed black people as monkeys um like this 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 was a this and this happened right after slavery right. so it it's a time frame where i guess in in grade school like i was talking about you really just think of it as like maybe directly after slavery but it really continued on well in, into the 60s right into the 60s when the civil rights movement started and that it's crazy to think about it like that because at least in my brain I, I was squishing it down to a smaller time frame when actually this was yeah like <laughs> I, was I have grandparents large. that lived during this era mm. I, I um I heard uh it's this rapper named David Banner and he says this all the time black people haven't been out of slavery as long as they've been in it yeah. Um, we'll go to the last definition on our vocabulary list, and that's I just wanted to do uh, police brutality to give a solid definition of what I found, um, and that's the use of excessive physical assault or um, verbal assault uh, during a police procedure. And now there's, of course, the excessive um, excessive force that you've heard tossed around as well. But it's basically just saying that if a police officer goes using, has used too much force or more force than was required to keep um, a calm environment or the safety of society. Because their whole job is to defuse the situation. Exactly. Um, not, not to make, not to escalate. Right. Correct. And I think that means we're going on to um, talking about you a little bit more. If you're comfortable with, have you had any specific experiences yourself or experiences in leadership um, with police brutality? Yeah. Um, not so much more when I lived in Dallas. Um, more so when I came here to Stephenville. Really? Yeah. Um, I can remember it was during the time of LJT. I, I had a security job there. And literally every day of that week, we was pulled over going to LJT and back. And uh, sorry, the LJT is a big three-day concert. It's like, no, a week-long. Week-long. week-long week concert. Week-long concert here that is in Stephenville, Texas. And... <laughs> 
there's a lot of alcohol consumed there, so there is a pretty heavy police, police presence. presence yeah. And they recruit a lot of college students to work these events in. But it's it's still... And it I, was so crazy because it would be some days we got pulled over by the same officer. Oh, See, I've also worked LJT, and I didn't get pulled over at all. Yeah, like, it, it, and it, it would be like times like, sir, you just pulled me over yesterday. I already told you I work here. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's difficult. So experiencing that, um, I can remember there was a time uh, we got pulled over. Uh, he pulled us out the car. He, he thought he, he, you know, he thought he smelled marijuana, pulled us out the car, searched the car. And literally the entire time, and there was another police pulled over, literally the entire time their hand was on their gun. The entire time. And so I had my cell phone before we had got pulled over. My Amber Alert was going off. Mm -hmm. So the entire time we're going through this entire experience, I'm praying to God, don't let this phone go off. Because they their hands were literally under guns the entire time. Wow. So I'm making sure my hands are being seen. I'm not moving too much. I'm praying to God this phone don't go off because I know if anything out of the ordinary happens, they're ready to shoot. Mm. Because their hands are already on the weapon. The entire time. That's very scary. Very scary. And this was in night. This was nighttime. Mm. That's an incredible experience and uh, not and that, in that a happy fashion. That had me shook up for like a whole week. Like literally after that entire experience, like I was literally shaking when I got home. That's very traumatic. Because I honestly didn't know if I was going to make it out of that experience or not. Mm-hmm. Like it, it was literally like that was that. Like I, like, I, when I went to bed that night, I was like, I could have died. Mm-hmm. I could have been another name. Right. And there's a long list of those names. Exactly. Me and two other individuals that were with us. We could have been another names. It's. Easily. And, and it, it just let me know that that could have happened instantly. And something that's interesting is is just that. If you grow up in a community that doesn't have a lot of diversity, um, you don't have a lot of friends um, that are black or have had those experiences, you don't know that these are happening or you you kind of live in this bubble. And to hear it from someone who is your peer is so hard because you realize that you've been missing something. and. You you have to choose whether you're going to advocate for them, right. or and um, I know if you just respect and understand. Right, and I know now that they have body cams, but I always say, if you could turn the body cams off, what's the point of having them? Yeah, I know. At least by policy, they are required to turn them on for every stop, and I cannot speak to um, any police officers. I I do have a few in my family, but I don't speak to them very much. Uh, that's just a personal thing. Right. Um, so I can't speak to that. That's just what I know as far as their policy goes. I don't know how often that policy is followed or not. Right. All right. We're going to move on 
Thank you so much for sharing that. I know it can be very difficult to share something personal like that. And we're going to move on to the question portion. And I would like to say before we start that um, we acknowledge that Malik does not speak for the entire black community. He only speaks for himself and his experiences and his opinions. Um, But he does have those experiences, and that's why we have him on the show. Um, All right, we're going to go into the first question. And should people refer to you as a black person or an African-American person? Um, why, why is that an issue? Why, why do we have that? What do you think? So more recently, I have started to look at myself as an African who lives in America. And this is why, because black is, is a color, not a race. I do I do refer to myself as a black person as well, but more so and this is why because for the simple reason of our ancestries within Africa. Um every black person around the globe whether you are live outside <coughs> of the continent or not your your ancestors in Africa. That is that's 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 where you're you know you're, you're melanated for a reason that's that's the continent that you originated from that's the blood tie that you have originated from and it's crazy because i was just talking about this the other day more so of as both of these i would say more so of a lot of black people and including myself we refer to ourselves as black because the african-american term is real interchangeable because you have just like you have European Americans, you have Asian Americans, mm-hmm. uh, you have Africans who are immigrated from the continent. So anybody can be an African American, but what do you call an African person who was born in America? Mm-hmm. So that it's really like a term that hasn't been coined yet, or is just not there. Exactly. So a lot, a lot of black people we refer to ourselves as black and it's important to understand before slavery even happened we didn't even refer to ourselves as black really didn't even refer to ourselves as african Mm. because we had our own ethnic tribes we had our own ethnic groups we had our own language we had our own history and culture so just like you wouldn't refer to every European as European. You would say, "Hey, he's Irish, or right. they're from they're Spanish, or they're Portuguese, or they're this, that, and the other." We all were black, or we're African American, right? And of course, to be able to even distinguish that, it goes back to the lost ancestry, exactly. and that means you guys better go uh, listen to the. Uh, the dialogue, the live dialogue that we have yeah. on our channel too, to kind of get some interesting facts on that. And so, what, what would, what term could you say that outsiders could use? Um, African American and, and and black, I would say, are pretty, pretty good terms. They're okay. they're they're pretty good words to refer to to you know African Americans. You know, they're they're not. I would say those two, those two terms. Okay. Yeah, because I know I was struggling with like, do I say black community? Do I say African American? Because it has started to be um, tossed out there that maybe African American doesn't fit completely. Right. So, 
Thank you for clearing that up. This was a question brought to my attention, um, and I think we've covered a lot of the reasons why. Right. But I'm going to go ahead and, and re-say it now. Uh, why not just do what the police say? Um, isn't it really just that easy? Um, it's not that easy. Um, because, it, but here's the thing. Even when we do do what the police say, we still end up getting shot or killed. Or we still end up becoming brutalized. Now, when they say, is it really that easy? I mean, it's more so, do you choose? Because whatever this police may ask you to do or may be accusing you, because you could be trying to get me to admit to a crime. Mm. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, I have to choose whether I'm going to stand up and say, and I know I haven't committed this crime. Am I going to agree to commit this crime so I can live? Or do I stand up because I truly, really didn't do this crime? Mm. And it's more so of like when when it comes to that, you nobody else has to has to deal with that. Right. Ha, has to has to decide whether because there has been instances where I have saw um, white people. They just talking crazy to the police. <laughs> yes. And, uh, I've definitely seen that too. And, and the police is calm. Mm-hmm. So my thinking is like, okay, if you can be calm at this particular instance, and this person is cussing you out, they calling you out your name, they threatening you, this, that, the third. But because I asked officer, what are you pulling me over for? You get aggressive and you get barbaric. That is, that's just mind-boggling mm-hmm. to me. Now, we talked a lot about the fear that you have. Um, is is that coming from somewhere besides the history? Is it your family? Like, what have you been taught as far as police go? And um, how early was that taught to you? I would say probably when I was like five, maybe five, four, around, around that time. Black Black children are taught about the police and how to interact with the police very early. Um, we're taught do what the police say. Um, when you get pulled over, show your hands. Make sure they see your. Make sure they see all of your hands. Don't reach into your pocket. Don't reach into your glove compartment. If they ask you to do something, say, "Officer, I'm going into the glove compartment to get this." Mm-hmm. Like it's it's real. Like it's it's almost like we get in an. In Think about it. You're four and five, six years old, and you're being taught this. Yeah, that's something to some to 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 interact with a person who you're also being told is meant to protect you. Mm-hmm. So as a child, you can you can see how that's kind of like. So, I'm having to do this, all of this. It's contradictory with somebody who's supposed to be protecting me. Right. It's a hard line. And you're teaching a young child this. But most black parents are teaching their children this because the simple reason of, even as a child, you can still get shot at kid as a police. Mm-hmm. And it all goes to, when it comes to black children, black children aren't even looked at as children. Like, we all saw the video of the, the police officer throwing around the, the black girl at the pool party. 
that video and the way he treated her. I just treated the black teenagers, period. Mm-hmm. Like, black children aren't even looked at as children. We're looked at and treated as if we're 25, 26, 30, and this child is six. Right. Or five, or four, three, two. Mm-hmm. They're children. So it, it starts that young, just the fear you have to instill or else it's like a fight or flight yeah. type thing. Um, you, you just have to do whatever you can to make sure that you get home. Right. And while this question was posed because I mean, for you listeners out there, even for me, it's just easy enough to be like, Oh, I got pulled over. Okay. Let's get my insurance. Yada, yada, yada. Don't really care. I'm on my phone. I'm, doing something and it's 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 a different experience for people of the black community it's it's different and because they were raised a certain way but also because police treat them differently it's it's just different that's that's a fact that's Mm -hmm. we you know we're not making it up we're not not over exaggerating this this is a fact we right right all right uh i think we, we mentioned what black children are taught and i'm gonna go to does having black police officers help do you think that helps do you think that doesn't make any difference does it make it worse um as long as these officers are within their own community, um, because you know the community, mm-hmm. you 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 know the people within this community, so you know how to treat these people within their community. Mm-hmm. Um, you you're more likely to you may have a, a a black boy who who you know gets into a little trouble in the community. But you know this community. You've watched this boy grow up. So with you being a black police officer from this community, you're nine times out of ten to be a little bit more understanding of this boy and of the community. Mm-hmm. Versus you have somebody who's not even from this community, not even a part of this culture, this group, just in this community. Right. So you're going to treat this community any way you want to, and you don't really understand how this community operates. So, but also, too, this is just, it, it, I say it helps when, if they are placed in their own communities. Okay. That makes sense. Because you have that experience of, those individuals, not only because of those individuals that you've already known and are grown up with, but you also have a feel of how the culture within that specific location works. All right. Now, um, we talked about Black Lives Matter, and I'm sure our listeners have also heard the term Blue Lives Matter. Hmm. And that is just talking about the pride in police and backing your police departments and that sort of thing. Um, the question that was posed, um, why is Black Lives Matter more important than Blue Lives Matter? Um, for the simple reason of 
when we started saying Black Lives Matter, we never said other lives didn't matter. Okay. Okay. Um, of course, we know all lives matter, but it this but forever since African Americans was brought into this country, our lives have not mattered. Mm. So we're saying Black Lives Matter. Um, why is it more important than Blue Lives Matter? For the simple reason of when you become a police officer, you pretty much know what you're getting yourself into. You pretty mm-hmm. much know that there is a possibility that your life can be threatened. Right, because you are in basically a military force. Um, you operate with protecting and serving the community, and that means crimes will happen around exactly. you. And when so when you took that oath to become a police officer, you took that oath that there is a possibility that I could lose my life. Mm-hmm. So that's why I say Black Lives Matter, because we don't get a choice to be black. Right. We don't have the option to turn off our black or to hang our black up. This is something that we are every day of right. our lives. And I think it's important to go back to your point that the Black Lives Matter organization and the term and the usage, it's not saying that all lives don't matter. <laughs> it's not saying that Black Lives Matter more than everyone else. It's just they have to be loud enough to get what other people already have and we're not even saying that we're against yeah we're not we're not saying we're against uh police or at the, all other particular people within the police but right. i will say this the police institution as a whole may need some revisions may need may, may need some we, we may need to look at that institution as a whole so it, you know, that's just the thing. You know, black people aren't saying that we are against the people within these institutions, but the institution is the whole. There need there, there needs to be change. There needs to be something mm-hmm. happening to this institution. Right. The the people that police are meant to protect should not be afraid of them. Exactly. Not be so terrified. I'm not saying just afraid as respect. I'm saying terrified to be pulled over for a taillight. <laughs> oh, we can't even call you. Yeah. A crime could have just a, a crime could have just been perpetrated on it. Somebody could have just broken into our house. Right. You, but you could we, have been mugged. You right. could have been But we won't call you for the simple reason of it's a possibility. You might think I broke into this house. Or you may think my son or my nephew or the little kid that lives down the street broke into my house. Mm-hmm. Before you even heard me tell you the story. Right. So it's just that, you know, just that that disparity of we can't call you. We, we're afraid of you. Like we, we you literally looked at as a as a we're, we're as an enemy to us mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's because of the so much that has happened between police and black people throughout the years. All right, folks, Um, after that question and answer section, I believe we're about finished. We went over a lot of information, a lot of questions, um, a lot of history surrounded, and there's much more history around this topic, and maybe we'll get another episode, possibly, maybe have Malik back, maybe have some other guests as well. And before we leave, I'd just like to say, if you're in the Stephenville area, if you're in 
um, if you're at Tarleton and maybe you wanted to see what uh, what events are happening with the Black Student Union or anything like that. I think Malik has some meetings you might want to tell you about. Right. So our meetings are held every Monday from uh, 530 to 730 in Math 311, the Math Building 311. Uh, now, are the meetings open for everyone or is it? Yes, uh, the meetings are open to everyone. Um, basically, these meetings, we're discussing um, issues within black culture, um, leadership development, and, and things that, and finding out ways how we could um, sort of better our community. All right. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more or if we maybe covered didn't cover something you wanted to know about, I'm going to leave all my source links in the description below and maybe some extra ones. Um, if you want more updates on Making Space, the podcast, make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the Planet 100.7. All of those uh, tag names are going to be in the description again. And next month, it's March and it's Women's History Month. We're going to have an episode revolving around that. Don't have the specific topic as of yet, but we will very soon. We are going to try to start doing some polls with what questions you guys have on topics once it, they are announced. So make sure you go follow us on social media. Make sure to join me and a new guest every episode to get those tough questions answered. Thanks for listening, folks. This has been a Tarleton Radio Network podcast with production from AJ Heyer and Taylor Welch. Find more great shows by searching Tarleton Radio Network wherever you get your podcasts.